You're listening to the e-commerce marketing show presented by Privy. Hey, it's Dave, your second favorite podcast host now that the CEO hosts the amazing daily e-commerce marketing school. But I wanted to just tell you that we're launching a book, if you haven't heard yet, on October 6th. It's called the E-commerce Marketing Handbook. And I'm super pumped about it because we're giving people practical, tactical uh, guidance, instruction. It's going to be a physical book that you can put on your desk and mark it up, dog gear it, highlight it, rip pages out, put post-it notes in it. And it's filled with expert advice, not from us at Privy, but from experts. There's 17 experts that helped write the book from Kurt Elster to Vivian Kay to Nick Sharma. All people you've really heard on this podcast. It's, it's amazing. We got to go deeper with them and we're actually writing a book this year. It comes out October 6th. So if you want to see what it takes to scale and grow an e-commerce brand from zero to a million in sales, this book is going to be your playbook. And by the way, we also got the intro from Shopify COO Harley Finkelstein. He wrote the intro for this book. It's it's amazing. Go to privy.com slash book. There's already over 1,500 people on the wait list. You can go there to grab your copy and make sure that you can, can really be the first to know when it's out on October 6th. Okay. I'm back to doing podcasts and other stuff. I'll talk to you later. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the e-commerce marketing show. My guest today is Vasa Martinez, the CMO of Outer Isle. Vasa, thanks for being a part of this. I'm pumped to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. I have a question. First of all, you are CMO of Outer Isle, but it also seems like you work with a bunch of other brands. Who are you? Who are you, this (laughs) e-commerce marketing wizard? Like, What's your quick story? I had worked at Quest Nutrition for three and a half, four years. I started there as an unpaid intern, actually learned as much as I could, as fast as I could, literally taking notes, being a sponge, no questions asked. And then from there, I moved on to another opportunity, applied that and executed. And then I quickly learned, I really want to do this. I want to shoot my own shots here and as many of them as I can. And the back half of 2017, I started consulting for a bunch of different CPG brands. 2018, I incorporated Growthbuster. And a few months later, I met Outer Isle. And that literally just started as, hey, can you do our Instagram? We had a mutual connection that introduced us as that always works. That was a kind of a turning point. We've both grown together and we're fortunate to work with a bunch of cool brands. And Outer Isle's evolved into being their CMO. We work with you know eight to 10 other brands at all times and just balance a lot of hard work and learnings. What I think is interesting, first of all, I love the brand of your agency, Growth Busters. I have a question because if I go to your site, Mm -hmm. you focus on social, video, creative, copywriting. Mm -hmm. I thought the playbook in D2C is just you buy ads on Facebook and Instagram and that's how this whole thing works. You guys don't even focus on that. Yeah. So we stopped focusing on performance marketing earlier this year. One of our clients, Maddox, when I asked Gabby, the founder last year, I was like, what do you think about the future of GB? Should I double down on creative, which we're, we're kind of known for in community? Or should I veer right a little bit and go heavy on performance? And he's like, double down on creative. So that's exactly what I did. And for me, it's pretty important because we work very closely with a lot of very strong performance marketers. And what it looks like is they look at the data, they say, hey, this worked. We produce the creative and we ship it to them. But for me, one thing that's exciting about what we do is I view organic social as the point guard and performance marketing as who we're throwing the alley-oop to. Without the point guard, like a strong point like Chris Paul or John Stockton, it's very hard for that to perform, especially as a startup. A lot of I love that. that. I've never heard anybody describe it that way. And I love that. 
I want to clip that part because it's so true. It's like, if you have a great creative, like if you have both, if you have great performance and great creative, that's a dream team. You can have a great performance marketing effort and terrible creative and you're not going to be successful. So we identified that. And for me personally, I just didn't want to manage as closely the performance marketing side of things going into the back end and just seeing where that happens. So I was like, all right, cool. We're going to work very closely with the performance marketing agencies that our clients work with. And we're going to get them the creative they need to get the results that we have to get. And it's a lot easier for me to manage creative. We're very strong there. We have a particular vision and playbook there. And then community, that's another department, which is basically social and social management, community management. That plays another strong part. And Probably one thing that you might find interesting and, and probably your listeners as well is I view community management, that being you know engaging with people who comment on organic or paid or reach out to support as a part of performance marketing. And people are like, what? It's customer support. You're crazy. And the thing is, every person that engages and asks, where can I buy is an opportunity to win. And our whole playbook is creating as many ways to win as possible. You, know, you can find us on .com. You can find us on Amazon. You can find us with our Canadian partner. We can't ship internationally, but you can buy here. You can buy in-store. Here's our store locator. Oh, you can't find it anywhere near you. Here's our retail request form. And that's why we're a little bit more than just e-commerce marketers. We call it digital to retail. We want to win on-site and Amazon, but we also want to win in-store for the retail partners. Okay. So I want to talk specifically about Outer Isle because I think that's probably a brand people will know. And if they won't, they'll go to the site and be like, okay, wow, this is a pretty legit brand. What is your playbook, right? So you said like you got this playbook, right? And so like maybe talk through the playbook, but as it's played out through Outer Isle, because when did you start there? 2018? I started working with Outer Isle April 2018, officially became the CMO this year. So they already had like a brand, they had probably, you know, millions in revenue, they had thousands. No, this has all happened like, okay, that's an even better story. All right. So this is perfect. Go, go, go. This is what I want to hear about because this is where our listeners are, which is like, I'm in the early stages. I'm trying to figure this out. And I just heard you tell me that I got to do be on 20 different channels. Like, how am I ever going to do that? So what's the yeah. playbook? The playbook going in, I don't know, I'll, I'll tell you everything I can without or I'll uh, yeah, yeah. hit me up on the back end. So the playbook going in started with organic social. It was literally a conversation saying, hey, can you do our Instagram, quote unquote. That was, that was how it was asked. I was like, yeah, for sure. Both Outer Isle and myself had gone through something where we didn't quite trust each other yet. Jason's a very close friend. I consider him another brother. He brought me on through a mutual connection. And we kind of looked at each other like stepbrothers, like call me Nighthawk, you know, that sort of deal. Oh, yeah. We did not trust each other, but we worked through that. And I started the playbook is this, it's community first. You have to build a community. There's a lot of brands out there that are starting out that for some reason or another need to or want to buy followers. And if I could take a quick second to give that an analogy of buying followers versus earning real community, think of it as a concert. I play the drums. There's a drum set right behind me. We're playing a concert. You're singing. I'm on the drums. And there's 100,000 mannequins listening to us. It's just me and you and our bandmates. They're not going to the concessions. They're not buying beers. They're not buying hot dogs or whatever. Or there could be a thousand true fans, human beings that are buying concessions, singing along to our songs, whatever we're playing, dancing. I'd rather have those thousand fans than 100,000 mannequins. But for some reason, people choose to buy those mannequins. So we went double down, triple down on organic community. We changed the creative a little bit. They had stickers on their packaging at the time. Their e-commerce revenue. I can't give you an exact number, but I can tell you that it was small. It was under 20K a month across Amazon and Shopify. What we did was started out with Instagram that 25% growth week over week for months and months and months. It got to the point where we were so used to the growth by identifying influencer marketing, seeding influencers with product. Our goal was to reach out to 100 different influencers a month and give them product rather than demos in store, which can be expensive. So as a startup owner, that's a pretty big investment. We decided to do what we call targeted trial. 
send as much product out as we can, figure out the sentiment and follow up and try to find a way to win there. And some people do what we call set it and forget it, where they hope that they post on story or maybe tag them on feed. No, we follow up, we check their sentiment, get feedback. We monitor that. If there's any sort of you know, common feedback that's bad, we definitely you know, work with the team to identify that. But overall, we built that perfect storm. And then once we started tackling performance marketing, and at that time, GB did have that. And at that time, we were working on an agency level. Things really started coming together. So I would say that from a startup standpoint, the packaging was all right. The rebrand in 2019 really helped out, but it was very much mom and pop startup. And since then, we've grown. I think it was just over 5,000% three-year growth. <laughs> just over 5,000%. It's a good number. Yeah. So this approach, are you actually sitting down and mapping out? And like, would you suggest every brand, like if I came to you and I said, hey, here's my brand. I got this idea. I'm going to sell tea. Here's what it's going to be. Is the first play literally like map out the 50 to 100 influencers that you want to get this in front of? And that's the launch campaign? I think that's a strong part of the launch campaign. I don't think that's the end all be all. I think identifying who's going to like your product, depending on the T, if it's just another T, I would be hard pressed to take on that assignment. It's going to be tough to be there. Like We don't really work with protein bars anymore because most of my team comes from Quest. So it'd have to have some sort of differentiator, have some sort of problem that it solves. And we find that the, the bigger problem that it solves, the better a chance of us winning is. But I would say, yeah, identify influencers, identify some creative. It doesn't need to be all studio. If budget's a thing, you know, you can get away with some really cheap UGC content. I call UGC shot from an iPhone. It could be literally a photographer with an iPhone. Yeah. It doesn't need to be expensive. You might not have any fans to begin with. So you're probably not going to have any actual user-generated content to use, but it could be very lo-fi. That's a good starting point. Depending on the startup, if you know we've worked with, we've launched three brands in the past few years. It's a good place to start, but it cannot be the only thing. I would even say that you don't necessarily need to start with ads unless you're in a place where you can. But organic is for me the backbone to it. Even if you started with ads, it's it's a couple channels. People know that, but like, where do you recommend people start with organic? Because I think that we hear from a lot of people that it's overwhelming, right? You got a website, you got email lists, you got YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, like. Where do you focus? How do you figure that out? So I focus mainly on Instagram to start. I always monitor where things are going. There was a time where I was monitoring TikTok. Is that going to be the place where we move everything? It ended up for me not being. Uh, Can you just make the quick argument for Instagram, by the way? Like, Why is that the place for people that might not feel that way? Like, Why are you betting there and why should you think about it? For me, Instagram, its original use was for photography, for photographers to have a couple built-in filters. People go there to consume quick content. It has evolved into something where people go there to find cool brands, to be part of the culture. And if you can fit into that seamlessly and be relatable, it's a place you can win a lot easier than Facebook. Facebook, nobody's going to see you. Pinterest, cool. Attribution is a little bit tougher. That's my argument. So I'm going to pick Instagram. This is where I'm going to commit to. I'm going to post three, four times a week. What does the creative process look like? Because even if I'm going to just shoot with an iPhone... I probably should still sit down and like head into the week and, and map out like what I'm going to do or else I'm just going to be another idiot just posting pictures on an Instagram account. Yeah. So one of the biggest downfalls I see is that brands don't identify what their content pillars are. And taking that and zooming that out a little bit further is they don't really understand what their reason for being is. Once you knock that out and have that anchor, you can start being consistent with your messaging. What are our RTBs or what are our reasons to believe? Give them an example. Like, What are the content pillars for like Outer Isle as a brand? It's RTBs are delicious, versatile, convenient, maybe with over 60% fresh cauliflower. So our goal is there from a visual perspective is how do we show that it's delicious, versatile, and convenient without using those words? So think of it as your hands tied behind your back. You can't have a caption. So going in the creative direction, you want to identify how do we say that this is delicious, 
without a caption. How do we say this is versatile? You could use it for tacos. You could use it for lasagna. You could use it for all of these different things without using a caption. How do you say that it's convenient, that it's ready in under 10 minutes without using a caption? How do you say that it's made with fresh cauliflower without using a caption? And that's one content pillar. Once you can tie that all together with a caption or copy, then you're in a pretty damn good place because it's very clear. So that's one content pillar. The other ones are sometimes what we call hygiene content pillars. Sometimes you need something to keep that theme going. Although some people say you don't want Instagram to be an art project, there is a benefit to having a cohesive grid that is on brand and that follows your color system across the board. There's benefits to that because when you see brands on shelf, if it's not strictly D2C, there's familiarity. So you go into different content pillars such as memes to be relatable. You can get into different things like infographics. You can get into different things. You know, like It's all of these different text overlay posts. And sometimes there's animation with a simple movement. So those are some of the content pillars for Adderall. I love this. You mentioned RTBs. What's an RTB? Reason to believe. Why should like somebody... That. Why should somebody believe in your product? Why should they care? Okay, so let's give people an exercise, right? So if you're listening to this and you are unsure, either you're unsure of your RTBs or you've just never like sat down and like written them down because there's huge value in just like having this and being like, oh, I'm going to work with an agency. Here's our RTBs, right? The exercise should be go out and do them. Do you have a recommended like format? Is it like two, three bullets on a page, three slides? Like how do you actually go and do it? I usually ask um, brands that we work with, if your brand was a Netflix show, what would that one sentence say? What's your logline? And that helps them out. And then when you go from there, you can pick three words that are those, those things that you go across the board. So um, we identified with um, a PR agency and we kind of crowdsourced Outer Owls RTBs. So th- I would say this, your version of your brand's RTBs are going to be yours, but that, that's not going to be it. It's going to be what your community tells you they are. And that's what you're eventually going to evolve to. Yeah. And those are the things probably evolve over time. Like, you yeah. know, if, you, if you're getting all this user generated content, whatever you want to call it, those things are going to change based on what's happening. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so what, what do you like, how do you build, how have you built in like this rhythm from a creative perspective? Cause I've seen like, I see how it can be easy to come up with a great idea and launch something, but like, how often are you coming up with campaigns? Is it like, hey, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're, we're meeting and we're going to map out the campaigns for the quarter or the week or the month. Like, how often do you actually like, come with those creative hits? So I find that a, I think that campaigns are evergreen. And for us, they're monthly for every single brand. There's not, like, you'll have the Nikes, you'll have the Coca-Colas with the names and that's like a campaign. But for me, with, with most brands we work with, they're a startup, they're getting going, they're, they don't have the revenue to go really deep across the board. Um, so for me, our editorial calendars or basically our shot lists of how to plan ahead um, is really where we uh, build out those campaigns. It's, it's basically just planning. It's, it's a planning game, especially with social and building community. Um, similar to, to, to performance marketing or, or driving people to your site with, with ads or whatever people want to call it. It's all planning ahead and, and watching and listening um, for me at least. And we have 10 editorial calendars running at the same time. We have to get them in by the 15th, produce the back half of the month, deliver by the first, execute, plan the grid and, and get going. That's, that's pretty wild. I like the idea of thinking, even if you're small, like even if you're an entrepreneur doing this by yourself, I like the idea of like thinking, I wrote down shot lists because I like the idea of like thinking about like, what are our shot lists? Like, even if you're just starting out today, like you can have that mindset and it's going to make you feel like a bigger brand and force you to like, I make this mistake as a marketer today. Like, oh shoot, there's a great holiday coming up. Like, you know, for you guys, like, oh, National Burger Day is coming up in two months. So we got, we got to know that we got to have that written down. So we have that for the entire year. Um, 
And some of those will play into different thematic micro campaigns for email. Like, you know, um, some of them will play really, really hard and you can search hashtag usages for some of them. Maybe, you know, we'll use outer as an example. Um, you know, maybe national enchilada day isn't going to be too big of a conversation to join via a hashtag because there's only 700 usages, but national hamburger day historically has performed because everyone's talking about that national pizza month in October. You should have that planned ahead with your content, those sorts of things. If you lay them out on a marketing calendar and split it up by different channels, organic, social performance, uh, email, PR, whatever it may be really lend a hand. And the best part is the cost of it is your time. Do you have, do you have any, like, do you have any advice for people who really want to like, grow that creative muscle? Cause I think this is something that you're really good at. Um, and that's, it's why you've done it, but like, we're going to talk about this specifically at the end, but like, um, there was an outer aisle campaign with halo top on, on, you know, April fool's day. And you guys made fake pizza flavored ice cream, which is awesome. And in, in the notes here I have for, from Lauren, it says, how much did it cost us? And you said the price of creative, right. And it's like, so how, how do you, how do you, how do you get better at that? Like a lot of people are like, I'm just not creative or like I'm an entrepreneur. I started this business. My background is in finance. Like how do you grow that creative muscle? Um, so real quick, that, that wasn't with Outer Isle, but we'll give Outer Isle the credit. It was a uh, 2017 okay. is with a, a past stop that I was at. Um, I reached out to my best friend. He's our VP of growth at GB and uh, Danny, he was at Halo Top. He left Quest to be the director of marketing there. And I was like, Hey, what are you doing for April fool's day? And he was like, I don't know, what are you doing? I was like, let's do a fake pepperoni pizza pie. And we reached out to our agency, who is our old creative director at Quest. We got the full mock-up. We sent it to Good Morning of America, Good Morning America, our head of marketing at the time, um, had a uh, connect there. It made the show, that whole deal. It was the cost of creative. Um, I forget the recap that we did, but it was huge um, from like a, a qualitative level. I don't know what it did on site, but um, how, do we, how do you practice that for me? I like looking at other industries. Um, I, we have different practices with different teammates. So it's going to be different for everybody on your team or maybe for yourself. Um, we have people that like sports on our team and I have them follow certain sports accounts and watch how that, how they apply their content pillars and try to identify what content pillar that is. And then the, the practices, how would you take that and apply that to a brand and have that speak to the RTBs? And that for me is, is like a puzzle. Some people like crosswords, some people like, you know, word searches, some people like Sudoku's. I like taking things in other industries and applying them to CPG specifically to support D2C. Um, tech is another good one. I think everyone's that's observing everywhere. If you can try to take different examples of creative that you like, but don't quite know why and try to make that apply to your industry. Um, I think that creativity is endless, even if you don't view yourself as a creative. I love that because marketing is about being, is about curiosity. And so the more you're curious about like, even if you don't like sports, but, but maybe your, your friend or spouse or partner or roommate does, you can think like, well, you're still, you're all in the people business, whether you sell food or technology or software. Right. And so it's like, Hey, what did, why are people reacting to that campaign? Right. Like, and then, Oh, okay. Interesting. Because it's rooted in this. So what could our version of that? It's all, it's all rooted in, in people, understanding people. Yeah. hundred percent. There's a lot of fun examples out there. Um, a lot of these smaller sports accounts that share different fun memes, they don't get a lot of, uh, as much respect or love as they deserve. Like they do split screens with like the heart on each side, double tap the side that you like, you know, just different fun things like that. Um, you know, trying to call the action to the save button cause that matters the most um, right now. So there's, the, there's always innovative people out there. Um, you don't always need to look in CPG. In fact, if you do, you might start looking like the same brand, you know, 
across the board. It, it, it gets weird. So I would say um, look at other industries. I'm, I'm a big fan of um, like the cosmetic industry. I think they do some really beautiful things. Um, I look at sports and, you know, meme accounts for different kind of engaging, relatable content pillars. Um, I would say observe and study. ABL is uh, always be learning internally. Love it. Uh, okay. Let's, let's shift to, let's shift to email a little bit. Um, email, probably the most important channel for any, you know, business period. Uh, but interesting thing about, about your work is that you don't outsource any of your email, which is like typically when we talk to brands they are like, Oh, we use, you know, so-and-so and they do this agency for us, but you brought all email in house. Can you, can you take me through some of the, like, you know, what's in your top two or three email recipes that every, every brand should have? So, um, if you ask yourself this question, uh, as a startup brand, is this email trending, relevant, or convenient? Every time you send an email, it will do well. So we sent out, we sent out um, what I call like micro thematic campaigns based around our editorial calendars, bringing back up the example of National Pizza Month or National Hamburger Day. Those have been historically some of our highest performing e-commerce days. Um, if there is a hook to that day and that email, a reason for it to... Um, to perform, it, it will. Sometimes it's attached to a promo. Um, sometimes it's not, uh, you know? And the goal is for, for, for me at least, um, I go really light on acquisition uh, coupon codes or acquisition discounts or percentages so I can go heavier on the campaigns to reward those folks who are part of our uh, house file. So um, that's one thing is, is yeah, I, I, I don't outsource it right now. We're working with a, a web dev agency at, um, at Outer Isle. They're gonna be taking over more of the creative for it. Um, and they'll follow our calendar. Uh, our strategy with, you know, second pass is final pass is creating a little bit of scarcity to perform better. Um, they'll follow those strategies. Uh, but overall, I think following a, following a calendar, being trending relevant or convenient will uh, lead you uh, the right way. I love it. You're filled. You're like the perfect podcast guest for something like this. Cause you're like the filled with like little three word, you got your RTBs, you got your, your TRC, you got your little mm-hmm. analogies to remember, which, which is actually really helpful, right? There's like, Mm-hmm. There's a great, one of my favorite books on copywriting is called The Copywriter's Handbook by Bob Bly. And he has the four U's for like headlines. And he says, uh, urgent, unique, um, ultra specific and useful. And basically like, if you write those down, you try to give yourself like a point for each time you use one of those. And I like that because it's like, hey, if you don't know where to start, I'm going to write down, you know, trending, relevant, convenient. And I'm going to say, hey, here's a playbook for email, right? Or I'm going to say, um, we need a reason to believe. Like, this is awesome. I just wrote my note up there on that right now. I got a uh, whiteboard up top. I got mine in case people think that I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm lying during this. Nice. Um, okay. So what are, what are like, what are the biggest mistakes that you that you see? Uh, so you like, if you use Outer Isles as an example, right? You get in there, they're doing like, you know, 20 grand a month in sales. What are typically the biggest mistakes that people make at that stage that prevent them from, from scaling? Um, do you know, so I've, I'm fortunate to have worked with a lot of brands and sometimes I see it, um, trying to do too much too fast for me. Um, man, I'd speak in too many acronyms and, and uh, analogies now, but now that you mentioned it, but, uh, marketing is a video. No, no, it's good. I don't want you to make you self-conscious of it. It's <laughs> yeah. perfect. This is like the yeah. marketer's dream that we can yeah. take this content. It's great. Um, marketing is a video game to me. First level of, of Zelda, you have a wooden sword and a wooden shield. And then as you progress in the game, you start firing lasers from it. And, you know, the big bosses, things get tougher. You get better weapons and armor. Um, people don't view it that way. And if you simplify it enough, uh, 
it starts opening up the world a bit for you. Focus on something first, dial it in, bring on the next thing, dial it in, bring on the next thing, dial it in. Obviously, while you're doing more activities, implementing more tactics and strategies, you're probably going to want to bring on more people. That's up to you how you do that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's keeping it simple and, and learning. Honestly, most of the stuff that I've done and that I do now, I, I picked up by either asking somebody, you know, hey, what do you think about this? Um, Googling. But the best part is I just did. You know, I just, I did. And sometimes I fell on my face and I was like, awesome. That's not going to happen again. But um, if you just do it and find it, you'll find out. There's, there's no way you're not going to find out. And even if you win, people are going to ask you questions about it. So what's, what's the difference? It's so true. Like the whole level, the whole level thing. Like I, I think a lot of people get caught up on like the, Hey, um, should we be doing, you know, brand awareness, you know, unaided lift surveys right now? And it's like, well, how many customers do you have? Like that, that you're still in like the, you're still in the wooden, wooden shield, wooden sword phase. Like, yeah. and, and do you, do you believe in the framework of like, um, two offers, two channels? Like, how do you, how do you think about, uh, the mix of those things? I try not to get in too many recipes. I, I kind of feel it out. Um, when I think that there needs to be an offer, I do it. What I, what I do, what I will say across the board is this. Um, one of the downfalls, I think that's one of the starting questions, the beginning question was that, um, is I think too many people lead with too many offers. Here's a 40% discount for your email or here's $25 off for your email, but what's going to happen when you add subscription? Are you going to offer them $80 off? Are you going to offer them 90% off? Um, the, the more people are engaged with your brand, the more the offer should be and the more evergreen they should be, whether it's 15% subscription. So I look at it that way. How much am I giving up front and then how much are we rewarding on the back? And I'd, I'd much rather be more generous on the back end with those loyal people. Well, then, I mean, you, you did that. So you're not just, you, you, you're backing that up, right? So like yeah. in the, in the um, outer aisle example, you built the community first and then yeah. you layer on offers and guess yes. what's going to work better. Where if yeah. you come offer first and you have nobody to sell to. Yeah. And, and people get used to those as well. They get really useful. Okay. Uh, one more thing on the, on the email side that I skipped over that I want to get to. What, yeah. what about like, what about automation? Like, do you have any lessons about, you know, setting up stuff for abandoned cart and, and, you know, people leaving the site? What, what do you guys do? Yeah. So I view, um, automations in three parts. Um, I'm sure most people do, but for me, um, every automation that I run, I like to lead that first email with, with RTBs. You'll see it split up. It's people are on the fence. They gave you their email for a reason. They, they added to their cart for a reason. All they need now is a little bit of a nudge to win them over. Um, I, I like to lead with that. Hey, hey, here's the reason why, or what separates us from the pack or something along those lines to give them a little more information. Um, most people will, will engage and make that purchase on the first email. At least the data shows that. Um, but the, we don't typically lead with that, that offer on that first email. The offer is that embedded, you know, text us for a, whatever um, discount that maybe the people engage with that. But um, the third email is where I like to come in with a home run hitter is, is, Hey, here's, you know, this, this offer is going to expire, create a little scarcity. And that typically does the trick. So first two emails, RTBs, first one, second one is here's how you can use our product. Here's the versatility tacos, you know, food porn. Um, third one is we'd love for you to complete your order. Here you go. Um, welcome series is kind of similar. What about like, if I just straight up went, went to the site and, and added a, like, do you have just a straightforward, like, Hey, you left this in your car, come back. 
Um, so it depends on site or um, SMS. If we have your, your info and it goes to text, it's a little more fun and personable. Like, I think we actually have Adele saying hello. Like, uh, it's, it's me or something like that. Um, I've got to check that one. But uh, email, yeah, it's, it's, we have a cart saver as well. Thank you, uh, Privy, um, for, for, for that. Um, but we have a, a abandoned cart automation as well. You think text is going to be, is the future of like abandoned cart and automation? Um, I think it is a future. I think it's part of it. I think that um, the, the numbers are saying that it's going to be important. I don't think it's in place of email at all, by no means. I think it's in addition to, I think different people are going to shop in different places. Um, some people prefer on their, I mean, almost everyone prefers to shop on their phone now. Um, but I think that the people that want to shop through text are going to be, um, you know, it's going to be increasing in the coming year. And uh, I think that identifying both of those channels and, and being, you know, authentic and native to that channel, email is a bit different. Text should, it's, it's a very intimate channel and, uh, and you know, operating that way is um, important. Well, how do, you, how do you think about like, what's the ground rule for using those two channels together? Like, hey, we have an offer, we're going to get out. You got email, you got text. How do you use them together? That took me a month to figure out the logic of not to cross talk. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, for me, it was pretty challenging. It's probably just a me thing. Um, so the timing of when your automation fires for email versus SMS, and if someone happens to get both is different. Um, so one's 30 minutes, one's an hour, you know, the, the second email could be uh, the day, one day, next one's three days, the third email could be, you know, two days, uh, the, third one, uh, the third text could be seven days. It all depends on observing and listening to your brand. And that's obviously, obviously going to change if I start seeing people like, hey, stop texting me, stop emailing me we're going to adjust those. Um, and we obviously look at the data in terms of open rates. Um, but it's very important to identify if they aren't going out at the same time. You're not going to get an email and a text at the same time. Very important to touch them at two different times. And you'll probably know pretty quickly if you do that and you yeah. piss off a lot of people like, Oh yeah. So you got to do it. You got to do it and you got to learn. Yeah. Um, okay. We don't have that much time. And I want to ask you about uh, the best campaign you've ever ran. Okay. So Vasa, tell us what it, what's the best campaign you've ever ran in e-commerce? Um, so I'm not going to go with the, the Halo Top exa- example because we went over that already. Um, and that was awesome. Uh, but that was more of a qualitative thing. Like this is how many impressions we got. We don't report on impressions. You can't deposit them into the bank. Um, I would say the most... Impact- <laughs> no, you can't. That's a good reminder. It's um, a good reminder about what matters in this world. <laughs> Sales. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so... I would say one of the most impactful things we do is the, our influencer programming. It's not necessarily a specific campaign with a specific flight, but for me, getting product in people's hands is the best way to know if you have a winner or not. And if you can do that consistently without getting hate mail or text, like, Hey, this is trash. Um, you're in a good place. And if you're solving a problem with food or whatever it may be that you're producing, um, the best way to find out is through that. Now, if you're creating a mattress that costs $500, you probably can't send out a hundred of those a month. I get that. Um, but there's ways to show if it works and with, you know, whether it's a, an affiliate program or those sorts of things. So my favorite, my favorite uh, campaign, the best campaign for me is um, running, sending a hundred influencer kits out, attaching each one with a, a affiliate code and see what those do from an e-commerce level but also see what that does to a social following and then measuring how many influencer giveaways you get, how many followers you get, those sorts of things. I would say that's my favorite campaign because it's what we do every day. Um, and it's, it's probably not the answer that is the most like, Hey, we did, 
you know, $50,000 in an hour. Um, but for me, it's the most important because we're a community first agency and we're a community first, uh, I'm a community first marketer. I like, I like this one uh, because it's not a specific example, but it's like, it's a playbook. It's like you could package up this framework and go and try and do this for your brand. And like yeah. whatever the industry is, there's going to be influencers. Um, just, just real quick, because we hadn't touched on this part. How do, you, how do you go and find the right influencers? Because that, that part can seem overwhelming, especially if you're in, you know, every, every industry is going to be super crowded. So I'm going to go with how to do it for free without, you, like, obviously your time. Um, yeah, I want level one. I want, I want Zelda, Zelda right. wooden, wooden sword level. All right, so go to a brand that is in the same space. And if you're on your phone, and even if you're on desktop, there'll be a little down arrow. And when you click that down arrow, there'll be suggested profiles. If you look at the people that are there, you'll probably identify who's following that brand, who likes that brand, who engages with brands like that the most. You'll find a lot of people there. It's a good place to start. Typically, if you're creating a business, you have a good network to begin with. That's, that's square one is who's in your network, even if it's family, as long as they're giving you like authentic advice. Um, it's a good place to start. If you have investors, send to them, ask them for 10 of their friends, scale it out that way. But from a evergreen standpoint and from a free standpoint, I would look at um, suggested followers. I would look at hashtag usages of what you're looking at. Um, I've done that heavily when I first started GB out. Who's, who's using these certain hashtags? Reach out to the influencer. You can't say the same exact thing every time when you, with your outreach. It has to be personal. Like, hey, I saw you had a kid uh, three months ago. Congratulations. I'd love for you to try this product. I think you might like it. And maybe drop a few RTVs in there. Um, but if you do that over and over and over again, it may not be scalable today, but at the end of the day, you're not going to be doing that when you're doing a hundred million or a million, you know? Yeah. I love it. And that's, that's scalable. That starts with you while you're watching Netflix on your phone, looking at related accounts. You can learn. Yeah. All right. Vasa Martinez, this was awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, want to, want to give a quick, quick plug for, for your stuff before we wrap up. Cause I was going to do it, but I don't have the link. So you do it. Yeah. Um, so uh, outer aisle is at outer aisle gourmet. Um, on, on Instagram, outeralgourmet.com. If you're uh, looking to, to check out the website and, and test our flows, let me know if you catch anything. Um, Growthbuster is growthbuster.com. We're at Growthbuster on IG. We also have Needs Pop, which is just the creative division. Um, and that's Needs Pop Studio on IG, needspop.com. Awesome. Thanks for doing it. And thank you everybody for listening to this episode. If you liked it, leave us a review, say hey to me, say hey to Vasa and, and appreciate the RTBs, the TRCs and all the good stuff that we learned today about marketing. I appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave. Thanks for listening to another episode of the e-commerce marketing show. If you like the show, like the content, especially if you're in e-commerce, have a Shopify store and you're selling things online, Shopify, big commerce, whatever you're using out there to grow your business, I want you to go to privy.com slash join. That's one place to get all of the content that we're putting out here, including the podcast, masterclass Q&As with experts, website teardowns, email teardowns, and all of the content from our blog twice a week. Go check it out, privy.com slash join.